Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Books of Bruin, where we spill the tea of the book, not on the book. Don't worry, you guys. Your precious little pages are safe. Okay, today we have a very special guest. I'm in the studio joined with Mara Heelan. Hey, guys. All right, Mara, you ready to get into this? Yes, ma'am. I think it's time for my favorite game. Is it what I think it is? If it is, guess that book. Oh. Then then you are you're correct. Okay. All right. Well, today's book was written in the 1920s and is the story of how the truth of a man of self-made wealth is beginning to reveal itself. And like any other typical book mixed in is a little bit of love, death, and you know, the normal tragedies. Wait, I'm pretty sure I know it, but I don't want to be wrong. Just take a guess. Okay, is it The Great Gatsby? No, not quite. Oh. I'm just kidding, that's exactly it. Oh, sick. You know, I've never actually read this book. Well, Mara, are you in for a treat or what? I mean, I guess so. Like, I've heard a thing or two about the book, so I know a little bit about the plotline, but not so much about the characters. Don't worry, we'll, we'll go over those. Okay. And for those of you at home who have not read this book, for your safety... Please keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because this roller coaster of a book is about to take off. All right, so let's get into it, I guess. So, my first real question is like, who are the main characters? Like, who's the most important? So, the thing about The Great Gatsby is that there are only ever 11 characters mentioned throughout the entire book, but there are really only seven main characters. And those are Jay Gatsby, Nick Carraway, our favorite couple, Daisy and Tom Buchanan. Jordan Baker, and, oh my god, just another absolutely phenomenal pair, George and Myrtle Wilson. Now, as far as the importance of the character goes, it gets a little tricky. Some may say, well, Carly, it's not that hard. The book is literally called The Great Gatsby. He's obviously the most important one. But actually, F. Scott Fitzgerald, who's the author of this novel, had a whole list compiled of different potential names for this book. Really? Like what? Um, so a couple of them are Gold-Hatted Gatsby, The High Bouncing Lover, On the Road to West Egg, Under the Red, White, and Blue, but ultimately the coveted title, The Great Gatsby Triumphed, obviously. Um, so while I agree that the title does hold significance to where we place our attention, we really can't forget who's telling the story. I mean, this whole novel is from Nick's perspective, arguably making him the most important character. I mean, after all, the tone and mood are all set by Nick, and his perspective is shaping our outlook as well. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. They're the two neighbors, right? Yeah, so Nick actually moves into the house that's right next to Gatsby's, which is in West Egg. And so, okay, let me get into that for a second. So in the book, there are basically three places to live in this area. So there's West Egg, East Wait, Egg. and I'm, I'm sorry, are you saying egg? Yes, Mara, I'm saying egg. Just roll with it. Okay. So like I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. There's West Egg, East Egg, and the Valley of Ashes. Now, East Egg is considered old money, and West Egg is new money. So in other words, East Egg residents inherited their money, and the residents in West Egg had to work for theirs. You know, as for the Valley of Ashes, we have to take into account that this book was made in the 1920s, right? So most furnaces were still run on coal. So where do you think all that nasty burnt ash goes? And stop before you say it. I can already tell what you're thinking, Mara. This is not a trick question. This is not to be confused with last week's episode where the ashes ended in Cinderella's fireplace, okay? Come on, get back with me. Okay, okay, so I'm gonna take a wild guess here and say it's the Valley of Ashes. Exactly. Uh, exactly. 
But to put it kindly, the Valley of Ashes was not the most desired or, you know, highly regarded part of town. Um, in fact, I would go as far to compare it to the humble abode of Lucifer himself. Oh. The Valley of Ashes is where the beauty of the natural world has basically been transformed into a horrible hellscape of gray ashes. F. Scott Fitzgerald paints out this region to be a bug-infested dumping ground for all of the surrounding city's rubble. You know, he goes on to do this by writing this quote from the book. Uh, occasionally, a line of gray cars crawls along an invisible track, gives out a ghastly creak, and comes to rest. And immediately, the ash-gray men swarm up with lead and spades and stir up an impenetrable cloud which screens their obscure operations from sight. Now, he's clearly talking about a train halting in the town and the men surrounding it. But he oh so elegantly continues to paint a picture of a literal pile of dirt by alluding that the inhabitants of this town are pests. I mean, his choices of words indicate everything that you need to know here. He literally says a line of gray cars crawls and ash gray men swarm. No matter your interpretation of F. Scott Fitzgerald's imagery of the Valley of Ashes, whether you agree or disagree, I think that we can all agree that this is not a place you would choose to live. Yeah, I I think I can agree on that one. So, wait, so does anyone from the book, like, actually live there? Yeah, so there are two characters that live there. Well, I mean, lived there, but, oh, okay, enough said. So there's George and Myrtle Wolfson. Are are they married? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yes, they are. They are married. Okay, so, so let me get this straight. So Nick and Gatsby live in West Egg. The Wilsons live in the Valley of Ashes, and... Wait, wait, that's only four characters. Does anyone live in the East Egg? Yeah, so actually, um, Daisy and Tom Buchanan live in the East Egg with their daughter, Pammy, but she's rarely mentioned. And their house is placed directly across from the bay from Gatsby's house. So, in fact, when you look at Daisy's house from Gatsby's backyard, you can see a shining green light. Wait, what? What? I mean, thanks for letting us know about the green light, I guess. Oh, yeah. So I know it may not seem like it, but that green light is actually a huge symbolic meaning for this novel. What does it mean? So Daisy and Gatsby originally met five years before this book takes place. So, you know, they had a little canoodle moment, but it quickly came to rest when Gatsby was rejected by Daisy's family, ultimately because he was broke. So naturally, he spent the next five years doing some questionable things to quote-unquote earn the wealth so that he could finally be worthy of Daisy and you know spend the rest of his life with her and he did finally reach his goal and he built his fortune so ironically or not so ironically he moved into the house in West Egg that's right across from Daisy and Tom's so he holds on to the fact that he can see this bright green light that is situated at the end of Daisy's dock and when we first learn about this light the readers have to speculate what this could mean for Gatsby it was never you know directly stated and so oftentimes the general consensus between the readers is that this light represents hope or something to strive for. But towards the end of the book, we're able to see that meaning change. So the last page, you know, actually, Nick says, Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. So now we're able to kind of see this, the shift in the green light. You know, the meaning has changed for Gatsby. It now represents what he once had or what they once were or almost were yeah for sure so it's definitely not just a green light that's that's exactly right you know but I really don't want to spoil any more of this book so I think we're going to be done with reviewing yeah I kind of want to read it for myself now so definitely stop but I think it's safe to say that you enjoyed this book yes Mara I did enjoy the book you know I think that this novel is an excellent reminder for a lot of different things in life explain 
no, I'm just going to leave that there. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would love to explain. So I think that the biggest takeaways from this book for me personally are, you know, hold on to what you've got while you have it. Like, don't take things for granted. You know, don't let this moment get away from you. Reminisce in the things that made you happy. Always reach for what you want in life. But that actually is kind of directly juxtaposed with the other underlying theme, which is letting go and marching on. Or, you know, to put it more bluntly, cutting your losses. You know, so, 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 so many of the catastrophes in this book could have all just been avoided if someone, <laughs> Gatsby, <laughs> oh, sorry, Ooh. would have just let life do its thing and run its course. People are meant to come in and out of your life, and you can't just fixate on one thing, whether that be a person or a memory or a goal. Get out there. Try to meet new people. Try to make new memories. You know, live your life, you guys. You have to keep going. And I think on the note of keeping on, keeping on, that is a brilliant way to end today's episode. I'm going to read, you guys, the infamous last line from The Great Gatsby. So here goes it. So we beat on, boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. Oh, wow. That is truly beautiful. Isn't it? I love it. So do you have an extra copy of this book you want to lend me? Mm, I mean... Yes, but as long as you promise not to spill tea on the book. Because remember, you guys, this is Books of Bruin, where we spill the tea of the book, not on the book. All right, you guys. A huge thank you goes out to Mara for joining me here in the studio today. Of course, it's my pleasure. And that about ties it up. Thank you so much for listening. Take it easy, and I'll talk at you next time.